everybody. Welcome to twitch.tv slash FB Outsiders. Welcome to the Football Outsiders Radio Hour on Twitch. Thank you if you are watching on YouTube afterwards. Thank you if you are listening to us as a podcast. I am Aaron Schatz, the editor-in-chief of Football Outsiders and the host of your show. I am joined this week by Mike Tanier and by our new writer, J.P. Acosta, finally bringing some youth into this atmosphere to go with the two old geezers. <laughs> and you all missed in our in the pre-show while we were logged on before we got on, we all started talking about our hat game. So we're all wearing hats this week. Uh, Mike is repping Rob Lowe. <laughs> I, I am literally excited about the start of the NFL season, but surprise, I'm not Rob Lowe at all. I am Coach Arians. Oh, switch it up on them. Yeah. More comfortable. And JP, as a new Chicago denizen, is repping the South Side. Yeah. Yes, sir. We always got to rep White Sox over here. I got a serious assortment of hats over <laughs> here. Maybe if we get some, when we're talking about some of the games, I'll switch them up based on the mood I'm getting from the game. I already <laughs> got one that I know is like my sickos game that is going to be a wild, it's going to be a wild one. Can't wait. And I'm I'm repping pork pie hat here for all of you guys who remember my man Meldrick Lewis from Homicide yeah, Life like, on the It's kind of like the old school, the old school newsy kind of look. Yeah, yeah basically. Well, it's got a little look, feather in it on the side. Yeah, a little maybe. Anthony Quinn look. Yeah, I like it. There I you like go. Um, so JP is our new man in Chicago, but he is actually originally from Florida and is a Jacksonville fan. So I thought we would start the show this week by talking a little bit about the Jaguars and getting his take. We've gotten a lot of Mike's take on what we, we might call the, the Urban Meyer uh, ego project. Uh, I'm curious, JP, what you think about like what Meyer's first camp in the NFL was like and what you think about like what's going on with that team this year. So I kind of liken it to when you're on a roller coaster and you got a huge drop at first. It gets <laughs> super crazy. There are loops. And then at the end, it's kind of just straight and no excitement anymore so the urban meyer era started off bam going straight down hiring chris doyle stupid decision can't defend it right bringing in tim tebow i mean i knew he wasn't gonna make the team anyway it was just kind of just kind of for his boy it was he was looking out for his boy mm. um but looking at the preseason i was really intrigued to see what this team was going to look like I was intrigued to see how Joe Cullen would bring some of that Baltimore influence on defense. I was interested to see how Daryl Bevel and Brian Schottenheimer would work with Trevor Lawrence in that offense. And through the first two weeks, it was a little unnerving because you really didn't see the creativity that you would hoped. But I kind of like that. I kind of blame that more on it's they're trying to figure out what works best with the team because Trevor Lawrence didn't get a lot of reps with the ones. Because of Gardner Minshew, who they ended up trading for a fifth, sixth-round pick. Don't really understand it. Undefensible. But I'm hoping that we get more of the preseason week three Jaguars offense, the one that was moving the ball, being able to use play action, getting Trevor Lawrence on the RPO glances, letting him be a quarterback, letting him throw the ball down the field. I think that comes a lot with an improved offensive line. Um, we saw against the Saints – when you don't have Cam Robinson, Brandon Linder, and Andrew Norwell in the game, right. that offensive line takes a huge dip. I think a lot of the claims of, you know, it's not creative, it's not working well for Trevor Lawrence. I think 
creativity goes along with what you have. You can't be very creative on offense if your offensive line can't run run block or pass block. So it was it, one of those things to add to that sort of indefensible roller coaster was oh Trevor Lawrence is getting a start, but the offensive line, the starting offensive line, is not out there. So we're going to put our number one pick out there without the ones around him against the Saints who are running their ones for a, a lot more yeah. this offseason. So that's another weird decision that like adds that sort of doubt. Yeah, I mean. Looking at that Saints game, it gave us, it gave me at least, a good look at where this team is right now. And we know this team isn't ready yet to compete with a team like the Saints. You know they don't have Drew Brees, but that team is still a really talented group, especially up front on both sides of the ball. But I think a lot of the good things that I saw from the Jaguars this preseason was defensive line play. The run game, the run defense was so much better. You can see the additions of Roy Robertson-Harris. You can see the additions of Malcolm Brown, adding a Jay Tufele in the draft, going and getting Jihad Ward from the Ravens. The run defense has automatically improved. You can see how they're more physical. They're stronger up front. And I think getting Shaquille Griffin from Seattle, it hasn't really, it's been kind of up and down with the past defense I think a lot of that is due to when you're going to blitz and you're going to blitz heavy a lot of teams are going to throw a quick game that just means you have to get off the field on third down if you're going to take those three yard slants those three yard outs you have to be able to get off the field on those third and sixes those third and sevens if you can keep teams off the field that's going to help your blitz packages a lot they really couldn't get off the field in those first two games but Against the Cowboys, it's all started to click. It started to mesh. I think C.J. Henderson played really well, played himself back into a starting corner spot. He might be the most talented corner in this group. Mm. I mean, he was ninth overall pick last year. He should be the most talented corner in this group. Yeah, he should be the most talented dude there. When he's on, he makes that defense a whole lot better. But overall, I definitely say it's like one of those roller coaster rides at Disney that kind of it takes you for a loop a little bit. It gets a little crazy, but at the end, you're kind of just mellowing out, ready to start uh, pre-season, ready to start regular season. I think they ended off on a really high note against Dallas. Well, at least, I mean, stability in the regular season would be, I think, a little bit better than what some people are expecting. I think some people are expecting the craziness to continue. And stability, I think, would go a long way towards helping Lawrence learn the NFL game. Yeah, I think a lot of that's the, I think that's the reason why they didn't really tinker with the offensive line in the offseason, because you don't really want to blow up an offensive line when you're bringing in a new quarterback. Right. That's kind of asking for him to turn into David Carr. <laughs> I think this offensive line has the potential to just be average. I right. think they were really good running the ball, especially Andrew Norwell had his best year since 2017. Cam Robinson rebounded really well in the run game. Brandon Linder is a very good center. I just think they have to improve. They have to improve in the pass game. I think Cam Robinson kind of leans a little bit. Juwan Taylor has to step up on the right side of the ball. But being able to protect Trevor Lawrence and give him time, that's going to really unlock the offense. That's why I'm, I'm excited to see how they look in week one on both sides of the line so we can kind of get a good gauge of where they're at and where they're going to be in terms of how Urban Meyer is asking the offensive line to play. Is it going to be a lot of downhill running like how Urban Meyer offenses normally are run 
the inside zone, the split zones, the quarterback option. I think he said this uh, this week, actually. He didn't plan on running Trevor Lawrence a lot. Okay, we'll see. Mm-hmm. But I'm really excited to see how they how this offensive line plays, especially now that everybody is back in the lineup, everybody is healthy. Because the drop-off from the one, Jaguars' ones on the line to the Jaguars' twos is fairly steep. Mm-hmm. Walker Little, I don't think, is ready yet. Meyer talks a lot about him having low hands. So when he pass sets at Stanford, he was always the biggest, strongest guy. You can play with low hands because you can just stop people. Against Marcus Davenport, um, against his <laughs> preseason game, Marcus Davenport is a big human being. He right. bull rushed him right into Trevor Lawrence's chest of multiple times. So it's just going to take a little bit more, a little bit more seasoning, as well as Ben Barch, the fourth rounder last year, kind of came on late in the draft process. I think it's just going to take a little bit more time for them. But like I said, the drop-off between Jaguars, ones on offensive line, the twos, is really steep. They are, they're the key to unlocking this Jaguars offense. By the way, the Jaguars are three-point favorites because the Texans are the Texans. Now, oh, road favorites. Now, I'm going I'm to put you guys on the spot. Last three years, 2018, 2019, 2020, how many times were the Jacksonville Jaguars Road favorite favorites in the last three years. Put your guess. Oh in. boy. Um, 2018, 2019, 2020. I'm going to say like four. They had okay. to be road favorites in like four games. Okay. You got a guess, Aaron? I said two. Two? JP is right. Exactly. Four times since 2018 were they road favorites. They are two and two as road favorites. I did not go look up the games. But you, you remember 2018, they were coming off of a good season in 2017. Yep. So right, it was right. uh, like, I would have guessed a little higher. Like, oh, they must so have been early in the season, they would have been road favorites. Yeah. Yep. Right. Right. So that's how rare this is. It's kind of like a once a year thing that's happening. It's happening this week against, against the uh, Texans. Yeah. This Texans game is just, I got a weird feeling from them. there's a lot of like the Texans saying their right tackle isn't going to play because of COVID 19, their kicker's not going to play. Tyrod Taylor's going to start. This is just a lot of stuff <laughs> happening in the Jaguars' favor. And I am very cautious about it. This does not feel right. This doesn't feel like a Jaguars opening game. Yeah, the um, I like this one because the official FO pick is no pick. <laughs> our, our projected line came out as Jacksonville by three, which is the actual line. Right. And it's <laughs> kind of like, what, what's wrong with you? Why are you playing this? I'll give you, you mentioned Tyrod. I was looking up some of the props. Uh, the over-under for Tyrod's passing touchdowns is 0.5. So it's either no touchdowns or touchdowns, passing touchdowns. And the you can get the under, so plus 200. So if you are a Tyrod doubter, and I'm sure there are a lot of Tyrod doubters out there, you can go zero passing touchdowns at plus 200 uh, as a prop bet. Yeah. I, I actually picked this one for the ESPN Best Bets column this week. I picked Trevor Lawrence's over on 1.5 passing touchdowns. Yeah, I- I would I would smash over on that one because with Houston secondary having so many questions, I think the idea that Lawrence can start his career with two passing touchdowns, you know, he's got good receivers. That's the other thing about the Jaguars is he's got no tight end, and that worries me a little bit because they always talk about the rookie's best friend is the tight end, right? Yep, and their number one tight end is a blocker, which is Manhurts. But um, you know, Marvin Jones, Chalk, and Chenault, that's a pretty good trio. Yeah, I think 
not having DJ Chark in preseason, it kind of showed how important he is. I mean, he is their vertical field stretcher. Right. And he's probably their best receiver. So getting him back, you'll be able to stretch the field like Trevor Lawrence did at Clemson, throwing it to jump ball guys like he had with Justin Ross and T. Higgins. You got that in Marvin Jones and DJ Chark. I think LaVisca Chenault might end up leading this team in overall yards from scrimmage as a skilled player. Are they going to run him some? Are they going to do the weapon, the Percy Harvard thing with him? I think now with ETN not being around, I think they're going to do that a little more. I think there always was the design to have him do the kind of bubble screen stuff, but also do the over the middle kind of routes. You know, with DJ and Marvin kind of taking the top off of defenses, you allow LaVisca Chenault to work over the middle against the smaller slot defenders or against lower linebackers. He's kind of, I think Nate Tice kind of, of the athletic kind of talks about power slot guys. who are yeah. really big, but right. they're primarily in the slot. LaVisca Chenault is a power slot guy. Like, right. You see him when he gets the ball, it takes an army to bring him down. <laughs> he had a bubble screen pass against the Cowboys. It took like six players to tackle him and he dragged people for a first down. I think we're going to see a lot more of that from LaVisca this year, as long as he's healthy. I think DJ Chark is going to have kind of another breakout year because now he has an actual quarterback to get him the ball. Last year, he was getting open, but no quarterback had the arm strength to get him the ball down the field. This is going, I think this is a really, really good like receiving core for Trevor Lawrence to start off with. And we can't forget that James Robinson had like a thousand yards from scrimmage last year. They're going to get him involved. They're going to lean on him heavy, especially with the offense that I think they're going to run. It's going to be very run oriented. They're going to do play action or take shots deep off play action. Getting James Robinson involved, getting him downhill in the run game is going to unlock the offense, which is why I think the offensive line is key to the success. I think it goes hand in hand. So sticking in the AFC South, I wanted to talk a little bit about our subjective staff projections, predictions, where we, we talk about like where we disagree with the projections. Because Mike, your two choices were both AFC South teams. You picked Tennessee as your team that you think is better than our projection. And you picked Indianapolis as the team that you think is worse than our projection. Well, our projections, when you put out the more uh, updated projections, the Colts dropped. Yeah, the Colts did drop a little bit, but they're both like they're they're basically arm in arm for the like right below 8.5 as like average teams that are going to compete for the division title. Um, so the Colts drop, but they still, I think, are higher than you would put them. Yeah, I I sense the impending collapse of the Indianapolis Colts as they look more and more like the recent Eagles teams, uh, both with the guy at quarterback who's like really been showing his true colors over the last few weeks, I think, and with just some of the other injuries they've been having there. So I had a hard time like finding the optimism for this team. You know, T.Y. Hilton is hurt. You know, uh, uh, there's injuries along the offensive line. We're talking about Eric Fisher coming back. Like this is going to solve everything. I don't know how that's going to necessarily solve everything. So you have that. And you have this Titans team, and I get it with the Titans. They're they're built, they're they're kind of like built for wild card. You know, I, I can I can see the strengths, I can see the weaknesses there, but you know, it's it's still a strong up and down roster. I think they've improved their pass rush overall this year. And you know, I like some of the guys that they brought in, obviously, I like Julio Jones. And it, I look at that division like the Titans should just walk through that division. That's what it look, looks like to me. 
and that there's like three little sisters of the poor in the division. And I think that our, our system keeps saying, or was saying, although it's a little bit less sanguine than it was, no, 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 the Colts have this, that, and the other thing. You know, the infrastructure of the they Colts. They have defense, they have offensive yes. line. Right. Now they have right. less offensive line. They have yeah. less receivers because yeah. there's Hilton is injured. And, yeah. Right, right. I mean, you've got defense, which is great, but you got some defensive guys like Xavier Rhodes who played well last year. First good year out of three in a while. And we were all looking at that Carson Wentz. Oh, he bounces back towards below average or whatever. Not sure that's going to happen. I'm not sure it's going to happen. I'm not sure if we're not going to see another six or seven games of Carson and then a bunch of games of the other guys and a lot of the, the dramas that we've been seeing the last six weeks. CEO yeah. The Legend asks, did Wentz bring the injury bug with him to Indy? Is that why the Eagles had a healthier preseason and training camp? I think that they made a deal with, they had to make a deal with some higher power to get Carson Wentz. They had to sacrifice somebody's foot. Nick Foles. It had, to be Nick. it had to be Quentin Nelson. They had the same injury. That That's kind of weird. I think they, I think the higher powers that be kind of struck down the Indianapolis Colts before the season started. It is weird that he sort of brings all, like it's offensive, veteran offensive line injuries too. Because that's kind of what the Eagles, oh, oh, you know what? Jason Peters is hurt again. Brandon Brooks, oh, he's hurt again. That's what you had in Philadelphia a lot. What, what Carson adds, the value added there, is knowing how he's going to respond to all those things, which is not have very good games, and then wait for, well, you know what? He just doesn't have the offensive line. He doesn't have Hilton. That's yeah, why he's not I'm, doing well. Wait till everybody's at full strength. Honestly, I was, going into the uh, preseason, I was a lot higher on the Colts and a lot lower on the Titans. I think the Titans are a really kind of top-heavy roster especially on defense. I I hope Bud Dupree comes back healthy, but you're asking a guy who is always a traditional number three pass rusher to now be a number one or a number two, and you're asking a lot of Caleb Farley, a rookie, coming off of a lot of back and foot injuries to bring up that pass defense that was really bad last year. It just yeah. kind of feels like this Titans team, they're really volatile. Like They can be... Super Bowl contender, or they can end up looking like the Vikings last year. A lot of talent on offense, but the defense really just doesn't hold up. Like Dupree isn't the guy that excites me. I think Danico Autry is the better fit there. But yeah. He's going to provide more things. And then you can get from the, the Bud Dupree, oh, uh, just a screaming off of the edge sack once in a while. And similarly, I think Farley can be a good player in the future. I think Jack Rapid Jenkins, I know like the level of volatility with that guy. I see what you're saying. But you you didn't bring in like you brought in numbers, yeah. In the secondary, so so you you did you address those things, and again the uh, you you replace Corey Davis with Julio Jones. That's a pretty significant upgrade. Yeah, that's a pretty significant upgrade. Right. So like, right, if, but you lose John O. Smith for nothing. Yeah. So it's the the question is not Davis versus Julio. It's Davis and Smith versus Julio, and I think and, that is a wash, and it might actually be a little worse. And you're also replacing Arthur Smith with Todd Down, which is a big deal. Yes. Right. Because we don't know what kind of offense Todd Downing's going to run. Last time he was an offensive coordinator was with the Raiders. They didn't do a lot of running the ball. It, we'll have to see what it looks right. like. But and it's not even just scheme. It's also just, you know, we don't have a way to quantify knowing when to call the right play at the right time. But I don't think you can expect that a new coordinator with no experience is going to know when to call the right play at the right time the way – that a guy who has had really good results for the last couple of years did. Yeah. But this Colts team for me, I, I don't know, man. Like I've all, I think their defense, as much as they play cover two, I'm, 
I'm really kind of eh on the cover two because <laughs> it's, it's very beatable. We have seen teams be beaten very easy with cover two. If you don't get pass rushed, you're going to get diced up. Right. But they're asking a lot of Carson Wentz. Mm. Like last year, <laughs> statistically, Carson Wentz was the worst quarterback in the league last year. He was in the Sam Darnold area of EPA. Mm-hmm. And you're asking him to go from worst quarterback in the NFL to, okay, now he's with Frank Reich. You're asking for like average, maybe you're asking for. I mean, I hope that that's all the people to me. That's the upside is average. The likelihood is below average and the downside is. Yeah. (laughs) Jay Molnar says, as far as the Titans go, LaFleur struggled to use Henry Wright. And even if Downing is a good offensive coordinator, it's hard to replace the unique play calling. from I mean, but it's Henry just run the ball. Just run. I mean, it's very simple with Derrick Henry. Just. Get him the ball and get out the with, way. With all credit to what Arthur Smith did, I, I have a hard time finding out he's discovering he's like some sort of guru because he discovered running and play action. Like, like I think there's more. Well, that's why I think I it's think. more than running and play action. I think it's yeah, hard I, to quantify what it is, but I think it's right. the designs of the play actions. That's what I think it is. I think he makes everything look the same. I think right. Arthur Smith talked about that when he's with the Falcons, like last, this uh, offseason, just making everything look the same. Right. Making the inside zone look like leads or the deep crossers. It'll, we'll have to see how it works. But I think Julio was honestly going to be a really great fit in this offense because they're going to run a lot of the crossing routes, the deep overs. You can have Julio run the deep post and have A.J. Brown running the crosser over the middle. Yep. It's going to look really great when it hits. And and that whole everything looks the same. That's the old Mike Shanahan, too. I mean, I'm not, again, I'm not poo-pooing. I'm not saying he didn't do – a really good job the last couple of years. It's just like uh, the idea he's like some irreplaceable <laughs> uh, offense. I, I think mind. it's more that we don't know whether he's right. your. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I hear you. You like uh, JP, you like the Chargers. That's the team that you oh, felt man, was going to do man. better than its projection. I am so excited to watch this Chargers team. I, I think it starts with the defense. I, after studying some more Brandon Staley, reading what everybody's saying about him, I'm so excited to watch this Chargers defense. What he did, what he did with the Rams playing a lot of light boxes, using Jalen Ramsey in different ways, moving him to the star and the nickel position. I'm really excited to see what he has, to see what he does in Los Angeles. He doesn't have Aaron Donald or Jalen Ramsey, but I think Joey Bosa is a very good pass rusher. He's a very good edge player. And then you have Derwin James, who's who can be your do-it-all safety. I think drafting Asante Samuel Jr. is going to pay huge dividends. I think he's a great fit for that quarters zone coverage because of his instincts. I mean, he's the son of Asante Samuel. Any great, any son of a great DB is probably going to have pretty good instincts on when to go for the ball. And man, Justin Herbert was really good last year. I had to eat crow on Justin Herbert. I didn't think a lot of people did, but he showed a lot of really good stuff, especially under pressure. I think that was the biggest thing. He adjusted so well under pressure and now they add, have Corey Lindsley. You got Rashawn Slater on the offensive line. Right. It's got to, I think it's going to be a lot better than last year. 
I um, CEO the legend says I'm a bit lukewarm on the Chargers. Maybe I feel that we've been burned banking on them being a dark horse so many times. Yep. Yeah. Um, I'm Matthew so one says they literally were in every game last year and lost ridiculous close games. Got no breaks. I picked the Chargers as my team to be better than the projections also, which is always hard for me to pick since I'm the person who does the projections. Right. I think I'm a little less sanguine about their uh, about their defense than you are. Like, I, I just don't know if Staley can do the magic with two different teams, especially given that the Rams, the Rams were something like ninth in defensive DVOA before Staley took over. Right. So he didn't right. like dramatically turn them around, whereas the Chargers were like 23rd or 24th last year. But I do think their offense is going to be better than we projected. I think Herbert is really good and is a stud. And I do think that they'll be better on the offensive line. So so I picked the Chargers as my team to be better than the projection. Also, it, it I don't I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs, but I don't think they're going seven and ten. Yeah, I think they're going to be right around that wild card kind of. They're always going to be in that in the hunt graphic. Right. That's that's where they're going to be. Now for team, lot, what were you going to say? Not a lot of depth at the skill positions. That's one thing that worries me about them. That's yeah. true. The, the the receiving core does not have depth after Keenan Allen. There's a lot of drop there. Keenan right. Allen and Mike Williams. Um, you went with the team you thought was going to be worse than our projections. You went with Minnesota. Hmm. I, so, I have so many issues with Minnesota. I think it starts with the offensive line. Like you're asking a lot for an offensive line to go from really bad to being just average, especially when your first round draft pick, Christian Darisaw, hasn't right. played at all in the preseason. Because right. yeah, that is a worry. You're asking a rookie to come in and potentially start when he hasn't played. I think Brian O'Neill is a good right tackle. I think Ezra Cleveland's still learning. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't think that offensive line is very good. And then on defense, their best pass rusher in terms of sack numbers is now with the Raiders after they traded him to Baltimore. Daniil Hunter needs help. It's quite frankly, he needs help on the pass. They brought Griffin back. They brought Griffin back. They brought Harrison Griffin back. Let's see if they can turn back the clock. Bring Kevin and Pat Williams back too. You, um, I will say you, you think you were talking, we talk about the chargers having no receiving depth. The Vikings really have no receiving yeah. depth. If Phelan or Jefferson gets hurt and they're depending on, uh, Emir Smith, Marset or DD Westbrook. I've been burned by DD Westbrook before that. Yeah. We don't want to do this with DD Westbrook. I think Amir Smith, Marset is a fun kind of gadgety option but like you said if one of Jefferson or Thielen gets injured you're asking a lot of that receiving core and then on defense you're asking Patrick Peterson to be a guy that he hasn't been since like maybe 2016 mm-hmm. you're asking mm-hmm. him to turn back the clock I think he's been better more since then but yeah la- you know last year or two he hasn't been the guy he used to be yeah, yeah but- just asking a lot of this Minnesota team in the other positions. You've got a gadgety uh, guy at your three wide third receivers. There's no gadgets in that offense. Cause there's no role for the third wide receiver in that offense. And you don't have a tight end. You had to go grab the jets tight end at the last second. Because you had right. You're a two that. tight end offense. You're a two tight end offense that lost both of your tight ends from last year. Right. Right. Yeah. And had to grab a guy at the end of, during the waiver wire pretty much and, and put him in the starting lineup. Uh, Jay Molnar says interesting switch to, 
to Lombardi did pretty awful with Stafford and the Lions. I believe this is going back to talking about the Chargers. People are putting the cart before the horse thinking that they're going to just become Saints West. I don't know. Do you have an opinion on Joe Lombardi as the offensive coordinator of the Chargers? See, I think I don't think they're going to be Saints West immediately because I don't think everybody's Drew Brees. I right. don't think everybody's going to be. Well, Herbert's a better, I mean, I guess Brees got it deep when he was in his prime, but Herbert's a little bit of a different quarterback than Brees. Yeah, they're, they're completely different quarterbacks. I think Drew Brees won a lot mentally. Right. That in places where Herbert can just win with his legs and being an at, a better athlete. So I don't think it's going to be the exact same offense as the Saints have run. But I do think you'll see shades of it. It'll, it'll kind of be – it'll be like Coke and, like, Pepsi. We're mm-hmm. like, you know what Coca-Cola tastes like. <laughs> Pepsi isn't Coke. But it's not the shades of it. It's, it's similar a little bit. <laughs> well, Pepsi is sweeter, so people like it more at first. But as time goes on, it doesn't prove to be as good as Coke. See, that, that's the thing about it. You'll see the sweet kind of – you'll see the sweet bombs to Mike Williams. You'll see it to Keenan Allen. But down-to-down consistency, of course, not everybody's going to be Drew Brees and the Saints. The Texans uh, will be seltzer. There you go. <laughs> nope. The Texans are, are dishwater, I hate to tell you. Oh. <laughs> the Lions are seltzer. The Lions are seltzer, yes. Actually, you know what? The Lions, I think that'd be a little something stronger for the Lions. Dan Campbell does not drink seltzer. That's uh, like a hard oh, – he don't drink hard seltzer either. No, no, no. There's no way Dan Campbell drinks that. It's like – I think the Lions are like five-hour energy. Like bourbon out of a shoe or something, yeah. Yeah. Bourbon yeah. – Bourbon and five-hour energy drink in a dirty You'll feel good for, like, the first couple hours, and then, like, you'll end up sitting on a couch somewhere like, what just happened? I feel like the players are buying into Dan Campbell's thing, man. Like, I don't know how much that means, right? That's one of those things that the stats can't measure, but I feel like like all the quotes suggest that the players are buying into his shtick. It sounds a little like shtick the more he, he does it, too. Yeah, they're definitely buying in. I think yeah. Dan Campbell is a great player coach. I think he's shown that before. And his personality just gets everybody involved. Right. Like I've said before, I really want this Lions team to be good down the line so we can get more of Dan Campbell. But this team right now just kind of <laughs> – I like, still maintain uh, they're going to be better than their Vegas number, man. I think I think Campbell is a change enough for Patricia. I think the defense – was next to last last year in turnovers per drive. That's going to regress towards the mean. I absolutely think they can go 6-11. and 11. I think they're going to show a lot of – they might not win a lot of games, but you'll see what they're building. That's always what you ask out of first-year coaches. You want to see what's being built. Andy Potter pr- points out their schedule is brutal, and yeah. it is. The whole NFC North has hard schedules. And Jay Molnar says, if the Lions didn't hire Anthony Lynn as offensive coordinator, I think everyone would have been more optimistic. Well, I mean, I think we Anthony Lynn's a good coordinator. The yes. problem was always game management, which yeah, is an issue now. It was always like the timeouts and the special yeah. stuff. But now as an offensive coordinator, all you got to do is call plays. Right. I, I like the scheme. I like the scheme he had up there. But you're right. It then, then it took, you know, two and a half minutes at the field goal unit on the field and things like that, and you lose those games. Yeah. But, I mean, I think they're definitely going to need to upgrade a receiver 
for them yeah. to, to oh before they actually really do anything yeah yeah because again like i'm talking about how they can go six and eleven right. if they yeah. want to actually go be competing for the playoffs there needs to be a real upgrade at receiver yeah i mean i love amon rossate brown the rookie they got from usc he's going to be such a smooth like smooth operator out of the slot but then you're asking a lot out of everybody else in that the, receiver room the lacrosse guy Yep, the guy with yep. the, the guy from the Matrix uh, that they got from the Broncos. Bill, uh, Bill Houston says, "In the spirit of discussing the Lions, which team will you enjoy a healthy degree of Schadenfreude over?" I will say, for me, the Schadenfreude thing is tough this year because the team that I want to struggle to make our numbers look right is Cleveland mm. and the Chargers. But my fantasy teams all have Justin Herbert on them. <laughs> and I really like the people in the Browns front office. Mm -hmm. And personally, I would really like to see them succeed, even if it makes me look bad. So I'm not really feeling any. There's no teams that are really set up for me to have Schadenfreude and feel like I'm super smart. Because if I'm right about the Browns and the Chargers, I'll be bummed and my fantasy teams will suck. Mm -hmm. I guess for me, the one team that I really hope struggles, and this is going full into Jaguars homer. I hope it's the Titans. I, yeah. I really do. They'll, they'll prove me right about the Titans being a very top heavy roster. But again, I just think the top heavy, the top part of that top heavy is good enough to be a playoff team. And make right. I mean, they could prove you right and go eight and nine and win the division anyway. Yeah. I mean, that's just the way of the AFC South. Yeah. I think they can go nine and eight, win the division. And I'll just be sitting here like, I mean, I was half right. Right. Not as good as I thought they were, but they still won the division. I mean, yeah. like for you, the Schadenfreude team is the Colts, right? It's obviously the Colts. You didn't even have to ask. And it's like part of it is when I go on and I kind of do these things with Carson Wentz, it's, it's been a three-year journey to realize kind of who he is, you know? And, 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 and you know, if, if he turns out to be the person that he showed Philly he was over the last two and a half, three years, then then I'm vindicated, but like at what cost, you know, because this is a young man who, uh, you know, a lot of people were counting on and looked like he was going to have a stellar career. But that's it. That's the team I'm looking at. Like, this is going to fall apart. This is going to fall apart. But don't. Colts fans will come after me. That's great. That's fine. <laughs> if it does, you know, hooray, I rooted against a young man. <laughs> that's not, that's, <laughs> not, uh, that's not necessarily who I, who I identify with as a person. All right. Let's talk about some week one games. Reminder, you're watching the Football Outsiders Radio Hour on Twitch or listening to it later as a podcast. Don't forget to watch us on Twitch, 1 o'clock Eastern, every Thursday. That way you can ask us questions in the chat. We can talk. Starting next week, we are going to be broadcasting Football Outsiders live on Twitch every weekday at 1 p.m. Yep. Monday is going to be a Sunday review show with me and the guys from Edge Sports talking about win probabilities. Tuesday is Scott Spratt doing fantasy. Wednesday is our Ask Me Anything show where we basically just blabber on about football. Thursday is our preview of the next week's games. Friday is Scott Spratt with a DFS-focused show to win you your DFS league. So starting next week, five days a week, 1 p.m. Eastern time on Twitch. Let's talk. Let's start with tonight, although I don't know how deep we have to go into because I'm sure we're all pretty strong on Tampa Bay tonight. I mean, that yeah. line has moved from Tampa Bay by six and a half to the last time I saw eight and a half. And then right Ooh. before we won on the air, Jason McIntyre tweeted that it's gone to Bucks by nine. Yep. But here's the thing I looked at 
which is since they started doing the opening night games where the Super Bowl champion hosts on opening night, the Super Bowl champion is nine, three, and three against the spread in those games. Wow. Man. Wow. Nine is rich. Nine is really rich for against a very good opponent. Um, I'm on record. I, t- I, t- I took the, the Cowboys plus two and a half in the first quarter. <laughs> yeah. In the first quarter. I love first quarter, first half plays. You're going to hear this all the time, JP, on the night games. So that if, it, if I win or lose, if I just get in a bad mood, I could just go to sleep. Uh, you know, I <laughs> catch the rest in the morning on tape. But nine is right up at the limit of, I think, even what our, what our pools would say is a, is a good play. Is that right? Yeah. Nine is. Uh, I mean, I, I, because I've got something in there because it's the opening night game, making the okay. line a little stronger. I still have it as Tampa Bay to cover, but okay. like, if it wasn't for the being the opening night game, yeah, nine would be past the limit where I would have the Cowboys. But, yeah, I mean, nine is a lot, especially considering that this Cowboys offense now with a quarterback <laughs> might be really, really good. Like, yeah, I think yeah. That, I mean the Cowboys are my Super Bowl pick because I don't feel like picking shock this year. I feel like being daring, and that's my daring, not not to win the Super Bowl. Sorry, just to make it to lose to Kansas City in the Super Bowl. Uh, this offense could be really, really good with the offensive line back healthy. Now, not fully healthy tonight. No Zach Martin. But in general, with the offensive line back healthy, with the three great wide receivers that they have. With Dak Prescott, I mean, we're all assuming he's coming back at 100%. Obviously, that may be wrong, yeah. but that's what we're all assuming. Um, and I think their defense can be better than last year. But I feel like the Bucks are a juggernaut, and this is the opening game of the season, and they're going to be totally hyped up, and they'll have the crowd. And I just like the Bucks tonight, even to cover that huge line. They're a juggernaut. Um, they went ten and six last year. They went ten and six in the regular season. So I, I think they I think were eleven and five. Eleven and five. I'm sorry, my bad. But it was not. So they can lose three. games. I mean, they yeah. lost to the Rams. They lost to the Bears. Bears, yeah. They lost to the Rams, Bears, and they lost to the Saints twice. They got swept by the Saints in the regular season. Yeah. I'm going with Tampa in this one. I I picked Tampa to win the Super Bowl. I know, shocker, going against the grain here, but <laughs> that team is absolutely loaded. I'm. I mean, there's really no discernible, like, flaw if you're going down the roster. And I think getting Antonio Brown back up to speed is going to completely unlock that offense even more because now you have a legit one, two, three, and four at receiver. And you can also run the 12 personnel with Bray, with Gronk. You're getting O.J. Howard back healthy. This team is just loaded, man. It, It is. It Jay Molnar suggests their pass defense is due for regression. Yeah. I think. I mean, every you know, everybody's pass defense is due for a little regression <laughs> in, in, yeah. in one way or the other, but I, I, I feel like it still should be good. Yeah, especially with that pass rush they have. Right. Yeah. And adding Joe Tryon into the group, he's looked amazing. They, yes. they were already a top five defense. The year that Winston threw the 30 picks – Mm-hmm. Tampa Bay had a top five defense by DVOA. Yeah. So it's not like last year came out of nowhere. What happened was that they took an offense and they completely upgraded the quarterback. Oh, and right. by the way, made an awesome first round pick in Tristan Wirfs. Right. The defense was already that good. And also they weren't giving the ball, the ball to the opponent at midfield twice a game on right. turnovers, yeah. which, which makes, makes the defense, defense look a lot worse than it really is. 
Yep. I also think adding Antoine Winfield Jr. in the second round last year, yeah. huge for that secondary. And this just keeps setting up for Brady. I, I know it's that meme of he can't keep getting away with it. He, he can't keep getting away with this because this roster is top to bottom, arguably the best in the league. Right. Playing the third easiest schedule by our numbers. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's like it's like Alabama type of stuff here at this point. For, for those just, people who think for all those years that the NFL set up the schedule to be easy for the Patriots, which they didn't. Right. It's all based yeah. on a formula from 2002. Right. But just in case you do believe that they just happened this year to set it up to be easy for Brady and the <laughs> Patriots, who have two of the three easiest. Awesome. It's kind of just like the uh, formula is giving a middle finger to everybody. Like Everybody who hates Brady or the Patriots. <laughs> uh, let's talk about some Sunday games. Speaking of teams with easy schedules this year, the whole AFC East has easy schedules. So Buffalo has an easy schedule and they start by hosting Pittsburgh with the line is Buffalo by six and a half. And what's interesting about this, I think, is is there's two interesting stories here with with Pittsburgh. I think Buffalo is who we think they are. I think their offense is going to decline a little bit. I think their defense is going to improve a little bit, but I think they're going to be strong in both. With Pittsburgh, it's the decline of the offense from the second half of last year. Does that continue or does it stabilize? And their defense can they possibly be a top defense again with the questions that they have at the cornerback position after Joe Hayden? Yeah, I'm, I'm really not sold on this Pittsburgh offense. I know they brought in Matt Canada to kind of bring in some more kind of motion and get kind of fun with the offense, but there really isn't a spot outside of running back where they really improved that offense. I mean, along the offensive line, you lost Villanueva, you lost Pouncey to retirement, and that offensive line was already bad for yeah, and a the large Castro, one of last the Castro. Yeah. Yep, the Castro's gone. You're adding Kendrick Green, a rookie. I think Kevin Dotson will be fine. But it's really – you're asking a lot for that offensive line, especially last year when I think James Conner had like 2.3 yards before contact. <laughs> and Benny Snell had 1.4. They weren't creating holes in the run game. So you're setting up Ben Roethlisberger to stay in the second and tens, the second and longs. And mm-hmm. I don't think Ben Roethlisberger is the quarterback anymore to get you out of those with deep passes. I think his arm has declined in a way that, that naturally happens when you get old. No offense to you guys. But unless you're Tom Brady, apparently. Unless you're Brady and you have, like, doctors working on every single <laughs> part of it's okay we're old that. men who are not following the tb12 method <laughs> <laughs> shocking i mean it, big ben, the back half of last year he had a 0.078 epa which is 22nd among quarterbacks with a minimum right. 100 snaps that puts him right in the sam darnold the teddy bridgewater right. higher than darnold yeah higher than darnold I like bridgewater bridgewater golf area mm. And when you look at the games last year, the team stopped playing zone and played man against that team because you're asking Ben, like, say, okay, we're not going to play zone against you because you're just going to dink and dunk it. You got to try and beat us. And they couldn't do that. I mean, we saw it on Sunday night last year against the Bills. They could not beat them deep. Right. You're asking 
for being. I, I will think one thing that is going to be different this year is that drops do not correlate strongly from year to year. And there's yeah. no way that the Steelers receivers drop as many passes this year as they did last year. I hope not. Because <laughs> those were legitimate drive killers and momentum. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And at this point, if Deontay Johnson keeps strong, because he seems to be the biggest culprit in terms of he just was the biggest season. culprit last year. Right, right. I mean, they'll, they'll give those opportunities elsewhere, but they didn't name that starting offensive line, I guess, until Monday. <laughs> like, because Zach Banner right, got because hurt. Because Banner's and, hurt. We didn't know who the center was. I'm not sure we really do know who the center is. Uh, because they just released a depth chart. That's how they announced it. It is. It's the rookie. Uh, Ginger Green? Who's Green, named? Yes. Yeah. But it wasn't clear that he had won that job. Like the beats going into Monday were like, yeah, you know what? I, I, we're pretty sure that it, uh, Hasenauer held him off. And uh, it looks like Dan Moore, DJ Moore. David Moore. I believe Dan, Moore. Moore, Dan Moore is going to be the left tackle is, while Banner is out. And it's interesting. Right. There's been a lot of discussion this offseason on football Twitter on smart football Twitter. I wouldn't call it analytics Twitter because it's film work, but about the idea that playing left and right tackle is not the same thing, that there is some, there is, there are some issues with switching and they're asking, um, okay, for okay, for they were asking him to switch to left tackle. And now they're asking him to forget all the switching to left tackle stuff Mm -hmm. and go back to right tackle to start the season so that this rookie can play left tackle so I don't know. On the, on the other hand, I will say this, which is that the Steelers having a really quality receiving core that goes deep is good for the strategy of avoiding Tredavious White, which is the strategy that everybody uses when they play the Bills defense. Yeah, just throw away from White. That's really been the big, Bills' biggest problem on defense outside of generating pass rush. I think they addressed generating pass rush this offseason. Yeah. Epineza improved so much. In the offseason, now they had an actual offseason to get in with the Bills. Greg Rousseau in the preseason showed a lot more than he did at Miami. I didn't think he was ready coming out, but he, he's ready. And the Bills' pressure was better than their sack rate look. They were 14th in pressure rate on defense last year. So they were not a bad pass pressure. They were an average pass pressure. And, yeah, they did obviously work a lot because, I mean, if your main thing is going to be going up against Patrick Mahomes, you have to – Right. Work on your pass pressure. Yeah. I guess with the Bills offense, my biggest question is, is last year sustainable? I don't know if, because going from super inaccurate to super accurate (laughs) in one year Mm -hmm. is really, really unlikely. Josh Allen last year was one of one of doing that. I right. think we are all so afraid in the analytics community. I think a lot of us are so afraid of the fact that we were so wrong about Allen that we're a little afraid to be proven wrong by him again. So mm-hmm. we don't want to talk about the fact that some regression is likely. Mm-hmm. But I do think there's a strong possibility that we have already seen Josh Allen's best season. That right. doesn't mean he's going to go back to being the guy he was in his first two years. But I think counting on him to be one of the top three quarterbacks in the league this year is unlikely. At the same time, this is a team that he drops off 10, 15%. The team around him is going to keep them a very strong team. I think that that is also true because also, first of all, they still got the receivers and they added Emmanuel Sanders. And second of all, that defense, for the same reason the offense might regress down, the defense should regress up. Right. Yep. Uh, let's talk about Washington football team. 
the Los Angeles Chargers at the Washington football team. So this is the one where my numbers disagree the most with the public. Okay. Washington, uh, sorry, the Chargers are favored by one, and the football outsiders line is actually Washington by one. So as much as I talked about the Chargers, as much as I think that they're going to be better than the projections this year, I think Washington wins this one. I'm a huge Washington football team. Like, I'm a big fan of what they're doing. And I think it all starts with the defensive line. Those guys are phenomenal. And they're all, like, young. Like, Jonathan Allen is a great defensive tackle. De'Ron Payne helps against the run. And then Chase Young's only going to get better because last year he had a lot of the splash plays. You saw the yeah. slap fumble against San Francisco. But now he's going to be more consistent with his hands, right. which is a scary sight. And Montez Sweat. And I yeah. believe it will see Montez Sweat against – Montez Sweat plays on the right, I think. I think so. Well, I think it's Montez Sweat against the rookie Slater and mm-hmm. Chase Young against Bulaga. That's going to be some really fun matchups I can't wait to see. I'm intrigued by if they play a little more man on defense. They were really zone heavy last year with Jack Del Rio's Tampa 2 scheme. Getting William Jackson, adding Benjamin St. Juice in the draft that allows them to play more man. William Jackson is better in man coverage. But now you have Bobby McCain, who we got in free agency. You can add Landon Collins. You can play so many more versatile DBs on the back end. And then you go and add Jameen Davis, who I said when they drafted him, he is a Ron Rivera linebacker. Like that's, that's exactly yeah. who Ron Rivera wants at linebacker. Rangy, tough, instinctual linebacker. He's going to fit right in that defense. I'm not sure if Ryan Fitzpatrick is – I'm not saying Ryan Fitzpatrick is the future for Washington, mm-hmm. but I think he's going to do a lot better with that offense. They were so bad on offense last year. I don't think people might realize just how 32nd in the league they were. Like <laughs> they weren't just 32nd in the league. They were really 32nd with a bullet. By the way, Curtis Samuel did not practice today. He has not practiced two straight days. He was trending towards playing in week one, got on the field, did the sort of the, the Josh Docton Memorial uh, Washington receiver we're counting on get hurt thing. Oh boy. So that's my question there. How's Washington score points? I've known yeah. I know they can stop points, but how do we stop this from being a 13, 10 kicker fest? There's no really good, there's no really strong number one corner for the Chargers, but especially if Samuel is out playing the Staley style of defense, they should be able to have McLaurin fairly well covered. Kind of McLaurin, McLaurin, but they're going to find ways to get him open. I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is very much the YOLO, let's throw it deep kind of guy, which is absolutely hilarious considering that Ryan Fitzpatrick doesn't look like that guy who would throw it deep. Oh, he's, he's that guy. But I think they're going to have – they're going to be really fun to see on offense. I think a kind of underrated name for that offense is Logan Thomas. What he's done at tight end, kind of moving from quarterback to to tight end, he's been pretty good at position. Like, I know with the whole Tebow thing, it's like, oh, well, Tebow can just be Logan Thomas. He's not Logan Thomas. Logan Thomas. I think Tebow possibly could have been Logan Thomas six years ago. In 2013. Tyree Jackson Tyree Jackson, I mean, Jackson could be Logan, Logan Thomas, you think? Yeah, if he exactly. gets healthy, and I'll, but yeah, and again, Logan Thomas, he's a great story. What he's done, he gets a lot of the catches because there weren't a lot of receivers on that offense last year, and I think that we're going to see more of that this year. McLaurin, and then you know, well, we got Cam Sims and guys like that, uh, Diami Brown. That's not impressing me as like their, their second and third options in the receiving game. 
besides doing all the horizontal stuff. And we're going to see, I think, a lot of horizontal stuff. If you're going to be doing that, you need Curtis Samuel in there with Gibson. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jay Molnar says, it's hard to trust Logan Thomas with the age 29 breakout. With a yeah. little bit of an asterisk that because of the position change, he didn't really start playing tight end until a couple of years ago. But right. I don't true. think there's growth for him past where he is now. I think right. what he's right. now is the yeah. upside of what he He's not going to be Travis Kelsey or in that Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller area, but I think he can be a serviceable starter. The other thing I just want to point out, this game right here, this is the worst punting team in the league last year, the Chargers, against the second best punting team in Washington. And punting is the element of special teams that is correlates the best from year to year. So field position battle goes for the Washington football team. Ron Rivera special field position battle. You have sold me on Washington in this game. I needed I needed punter information. <laughs> okay, now I'm on the I'm East gonna, Coast. I'm yeah. going to channel Sal Palantonio. Now we're going to talk about the most important game of the week. Why? Because I'll be there. <laughs> for the Miami Dolphins at the New England Patriots, um, which I think is interesting. Miami was fifth last year in defensive pressure rate. Can you even name a Miami edge rusher? That dude, Ogba. Right. We're professionals at this, so we remember that Emmanuel Ogba exists. That I'll dude with the most- name that sounds like whiskey, uh, Pappy Van Winkle, or whatever his name is. Yeah. Andrew, Andrew Van, Van Winkle. Winkle. I thought Ogba had nine sacks last year. Uh-huh. Jerome Baker, who's an inside linebacker, had seven. Van Noy, who's gone now, he's right. on the Patriots again, had six. And then Van Ginkle had 5.5. So, like, they get their sacks from interesting, unexpected places. Yeah. yeah but I think that's why they drafted Jalen Phillips in the first round. Yes, our sacks are his favorite. You're counting on a rookie, but Jalen Phillips is really good yeah. at doing that. He's a very talented pass rusher, I think. Brian Flores is going to use them in a really good way on that defense. I don't think the turnover create, I think the turnover creation is going to regress naturally because you don't get 11 interceptions every year. Right. That's for both teams. Miami led the league in turnovers per drive last year on defense and the Patriots Mm -hmm. were third. Right. And those are, that is a high, that is a strong indicator of, of regression towards the mean. Like I happen to think that all the talent that the Patriots added on defense will counteract that. But you can't get away from the fact that last year they still had a high amount of takeaways, but not as high as Miami. And that's just not going to continue. And they won't have Stephon Gilmore for the first six weeks. Which hurts. You're going to target, you're basically going to go away from J.C. Jackson, which you can now do. I'm intrigued to see this Miami offense. Although the Miami, here's an interesting, Miami doesn't have its best receiver. Will Fuller is suspended for this game. It's the last last game from his PED suspension from last year. Um, they were talking on the radio here, and I apologize. I don't remember which of the two radio stations I was listening to about the idea that man coverage is a good way to stop young quarterbacks. And here we have two young quarterbacks and two defenses that play a high percentage of man coverage. Well, I think the way Miami's going to run their offense, I think Miami's going to do a lot more what Tua did at Alabama with the RPOs, with the quick game. Mm-hmm. As did we just lose you? Oh, no. We lost JP. JP, we lost you. Come back. Come back. Reload with a different hat. That's your assignment. Come back with a different hat if you can hear me. Okay. Jay Molnar asks while we oh, wait. Lord, for- oh, he's back. Wait. You there? Okay. My bad. Yes. All right. So 
what I was saying was I think Tua and that Miami offense is going to run a lot more of the RPOs, a lot of the quick game, because Tua is a naturally instinctual passer. Steve Sarkeesian talked about it in a camp that's on they posted on YouTube. He's very good at finding the gaps. So if you want to play a lot of man, you're going to run a lot of the RPO quick game. You got to have separators. You go and get Jalen Waddle, who is probably faster than like 98% of the league. You go and get him. Mm-hmm. I think getting a healthy Albert Wilson back will help. Yeah. He grants fast. That's he's fast. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. By Gusecki at tight end. Yep. Gasicki is really good at tight end. Right. It's just going to be interesting to see how they do with that offensive line because they're not, they're going to be without Austin Jackson, who's out with COVID. Yeah. And even with Austin Jackson, he didn't really look that great, especially this preseason last year. So now you're thinking about moving Liam Eichenberg from right to left, doing a lot of reshuffling, which is not good going against the New England defense that gets almost everybody back from COVID opt-outs, including Dante Hightower. Who right. Well, that's the main. It's not the COVID opt-outs as much as it is the free agent. It's the Hightower and then the free agency. Because Bill Houston asks if we buy that the free agent shopping spree that the Patriots went on are substantial upgrades. And I mean, first of all, our research shows in the projection system that net value uh, on defense, adding players matters. And I do think there are some, Matt Judon is a substantial upgrade on defense. So is Devon Godshow. Um, I don't think Mills, Mills is, Mills helps make up for the fact that Chung retired. Yeah. As does Kyle Duggar having another year of, experience getting van noy back is a nice plus although with uche playing so well i don't think there's room for van noy in the starting yeah, line but uche's it's judon man judon is a player yeah and i think Judon and hightower are just big improvements with judon hightower i think josh uche is going to break out this year we're going to see a lot a look definitely better josh uche this year which now now i'm i feel patriots in this one and mike it, it's the line is patriots by three and I'm Mike, going, you feel the opposite. I'm going Dolphins. I'm going with Lieutenant Commander to a tongue of Iola because he is not a captain. Um, because I, again, some of the, some of the things JP talked about there, I do I do like the weapons. Even if you're losing Fuller for a while, you've got you've got Parker, you've got guys like that. Not as worried along the offensive line. And again, we didn't mention the rookie quarterback starting because they're all yeah. like, oh, Mac Jones, he has a Bill Belichick silver approval, so everything's just hunky dory. And I don't know who this guy is going up against a really good secondary, going up against a team that goes going to blitz from a lot of angles. Uh, you know, we're, it's like we're worried about Tua, but we're not worried about Mac Jones, I think. I'm worried about Mac Jones. Yeah. I think, I think I'm going to go Miami in this one. I think they're going to test Mac Jones' ability to create under pressure. They're going to test his ability to extend right. plays with his feet. I think last year Miami ran like the top three most snaps in cover zero, ran the most snaps in cover one. They're going to test him and his ability to process. They're going to run a lot of that 5-0 stuff that Belgic ran in New England, that Flores brought to Miami. And I think this is kind of a – I'm not saying it's like a perfect storm for Miami mm-hmm. with bringing in a rookie quarterback against that defense, but it's about as optimal as you can get. Two more games I want to hit quickly. First of all, Unfortunately, I won't be able to watch this because it's the same time as the Patriots and the Dolphins, but Cleveland at Kansas City, a lot of people are paying attention to this game because so many people are picking Cleveland to be so good this year and because Kansas City is, of course, Kansas City. I will point out <laughs> Cleveland 
Pro real problems against Kansas City is they were 30th in the league against other receivers last year and 19th against slot receivers. But they paid a lot of attention to that in the offseason with Troy Hill and John Johnson. And I yeah. think Denzel Ward is really underrated as the number one cornerback there. Um, and then the other, I think, advantage for Cleveland on the other side of the ball, Chubb and Hunt against a weak Kansas City run defense that also was 31st in the league in DVOA against running backs as receivers last year, which is good, speaks well for yeah. Hunt. Yeah, I mean, Kansas City's defense is definitely the biggest question mark going into this season, um, That especially that second level with Sorensen, Willie Gay, Nick Bolton, who's a rookie. Yeah. You're asking them to go up against a Cleveland team that's the best in the league, at, at one of the best in the league, at running the football and yeah. facing play action off of that. Very strong running back, very strong offensive line. Yep. Right. But I'm really intrigued to see this Kansas City offensive line. Bringing in Orlando Brown, bringing in Joe Tooney. You're starting two rookies with Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith. But those two rookies have to be really good. Essentially three rookies because Lucas Yang, Yang is opted right? out of his rookie year last year. Yep. So I'm, I think they're going to run a lot more gap and power schemes with their run game because last year their run game got kind of predictable. If they weren't running split zone, they weren't running the ball at all. So now you can run the power, the counters, the stuff with Orlando Brown pulling with Joe Tooney moving people. And then you can base your uh, passes off of that. Again, it's really the matter because you have Patrick Mahomes. You, you got Mahomes, <laughs> you got Tyree Kill, you got Travis Kelsey. You really, what else do you really need? This, Bill this Houston says, Kansas City will have a better defense than people think. Spags is finally getting his players. Very underrated defensive tackle rotation. Watch out for Turk Wharton as a pass rusher. Yeah, he was uh, really good last year, his rookie year, uh, Wharton. Yeah, I think they're really going to – with moving Chris Jones out to the end on pass rush packages, it really has me intrigued on where they go on my pass. Right. And I like Jaron Reed too. Yep, Jaron Reed from Seattle. I'm really intrigued to see what they do, but I have legitimate questions at that second level. Like, I know the whole thing is like – not paying linebackers, but they are very important, especially now with the I think I think it's a very analytic point of view that the Chiefs have taken. They really do feel like the off-ball linebackers are the least important point of part of the defense. And they feel like mm -hmm. it's okay that you can run on them because if you run on them, at least you're not passing on them. But right. You're putting your linebackers in a blender when you're going to pass the ball. Because <laughs> Nick Bolton, as much as I love Nick Bolton going forward. I don't want Nick mm -hmm. Bolton going backwards in pass coverage. Day <laughs> wasn't very good in pass coverage last year. Daniel Sorensen, who's kind of their safety linebacker hybrid. Right. I mean, I don't, I don't think he's that great in pass coverage either. So I think Spags does a great job, though, of putting his players in the best position to succeed. Like what he does with Tyron Matthew, just using them as kind of the – the lurker area in cover two where he's just playing in the middle. Just let him go be a football player. Tyron, Tyron Matthews' instincts are phenomenal. This is going to be one of those games I really I really haven't made a decision on yet because I love both teams, how they build. KC minus six. Oh. Uh, this, is, this is one of those games where it's either close or the Browns pull out a win. It's the jump to conclusions game. 
Oh my God, this would be such a jump to conclusions. Well, you know, the Brown, how the Browns have they changed the way football is, right? Whatever. And then you could go eight or ten weeks later, and like you know, the Chiefs are back at eight and two, and the Browns are at seven and three. Like, oh, it's just one of those things that happened because it is such an interesting matchup game because of the fact that the Browns are kind of built like Chiefs beaters to a degree in that, yeah, we're going to put so much stress on your running game, and we can gouge you in so many ways with our running game that we can both slow the game down and score up to you. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know at six points if I'm, I, I can happily just skip this one because I don't have to make a pick. Um, but th- but that's on the book because I could definitely see a, a Chiefs winning by three at the end with a field goal, winning by four at the you know in, in the, with a last t- late touchdown uh, because of the you know the way the matchup is set up. Yeah, I definitely lean more Chiefs because I think at the end of the game, I think having Patrick Mahomes means a lot against having Baker Mayfield. So I'm gonna lean on that Mahomes kind of magic and a Chiefs. It'll be a close game though. What's, the, what's, sorry to what's Honey Badger's status right now with COVID? Let's see. I, the, does he have? Is he out out for COVID? I uh, not I see him currently that. on the COVID list. I I'm uh, but ladies and gentlemen. I'm sorry for spacing on this, and we, and we probably all did. Uh, but still on the uh, reserve list, says Bill Houston. Yes, uh, status is a huge factor. His status is up in the air. So well, uh, don't put a dime on this. Don't put a dime on this game until you know more on that. That's what I'll tell you, folks. Exactly. Last game I want to talk about this week, also in the 4 p.m. slot on Sunday. So many good games in that 4 p.m. slot. And for people who don't know, both of the networks get double headers week one this year because they changed the TV wow. contract. So there'll actually be two games on at one and two games on at four. Green Bay by four versus New Orleans in beautiful downtown Jacksonville, not in New Orleans. Yeah, this is, this is going to be a an interesting game because it's essentially a neutral site game it takes away any home field. Um, this saints offense is going to look very different with Jameis Winston mm. instead of Drew Brees. You're not going to have the quick game, the kind of timing route. No, I think we're going back to the days of Robert Meacham and Devery Henderson. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> air it <laughs> out it play action. Cause I think James <laughs> Winston, as much as he creates the boneheaded turnover, I think he can, serve as a very good, not very good, but an average quarterback throwing the ball down the field. Just to point out the 30 interceptions that Winston had, he's never had another season over 20. Yep. It was a total outlier. Over 20. I mean, he still had like a high interception rate. Right. But, but his DVOA has always been slightly above average, except for the year with the 30 picks. And now he's in the Sean Payton offense and yeah, there's questions about their receivers, but Sean Bain is a pretty good designer of offense. My my biggest question is actually, we have the Saints defense projected to be good, but I'm really worried about cornerback other than Marshawn, Marshawn Lattimore. They just traded for Roby. They signed yeah, yeah. Trufant. Ken Crawley is currently the starter across from Lattimore, and that's a dude who has been played on five teams in the last two years, including the Saints twice. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a lot like the Saints offense in terms of both front lines are very good, but at those skill positions, you have a lot of questions. Right. I think the Saints cornerbacks, you definitely have a lot of questions outside of Lattimore. Teams can just go like it's like the Tredavious White thing we talked about earlier, just throw away from Lattimore. Yeah. I right. think playing a lot of two man like they did last 
here, it's going to open up to a lot of mistakes in man coverage if you don't have those guys. The Saints were the number one team in terms of how often they played man coverage last year. But Rodgers, last year at least, was way better against man coverage than he was against zone coverage. (laughs) Yeah, this is going to be enough. He's a cheap code, man. Now with Matt LaFleur giving him all the motion and giving him the RPO stuff, He's, he's basically a cheat code. He can change plays at will. I'm, I'm, I really want to lead Green Bay. I really do. Yeah, I would go Packers in this one, especially because of the neutral site. I like the Packers. I yeah. really want to lead Green Bay, but the biggest thing holding me back is Bakhtiari's not playing. Elton Jenkins is moving to left tackle. You got Royce Newman, a rookie, starting at right guard. You don't have – I think Billy Turner is starting at right tackle. Yep, he's still the right tackle. Billy Turner against Cam Jordan. I that's a it's real tough. Yeah, that, that's not teams. a good that is not a good matchup for the Packers. And you do have Zadarius Thomas. He is practicing this week, so Zadarius might be back in some capacity. Zadarius Smith. Zadarius Smith. Zadarius Smith. Yes. Okay, so they'll he's have the main back. part of the Packers' pass rush because Preston Smith really fell off last year. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of what they did with Preston Smith was they'd have Preston Smith dropping the coverage. And so, <laughs> the Packers were only 24th in defensive pressure rate last year, so they need to get Zadarius some help. Yeah, Preston Smith in coverage like against like Tyreek Hill level guys. Yeah, like what, what are we doing here? <laughs> Let's Mike Pettin was petting. Yeah, that was classic Pettin. But having Joe Barry come over from the Rams, it's a part of that Brandon Staleying of the NFL defense right now. It'll be interesting to see what he does with a pass rush unit that if you stop dropping Preston Smith, you have three guys in Smith Brothers and Kenny Clark who can get pass rush. So that'll improve. I think I'm going to go Packers, but I'm, I'm really going to have my eye on the Billy Turner-Cam Jordan matchup because – what we've seen is if you get pressure, like the Bucks got pressure on Aaron Rodgers, they're going to slip up. It won't be a massive drop-off, but he'll make a mistake. It doesn't matter if you like Billy Turner or I like Billy Turner. Aaron Rodgers loves Billy Turner. There you so go. That's the, only, that's the only thing that matters. He's part of the inner circle. So, All right. That does it for today's show, Football Outsiders Radio Hour. I want to thank Mike. Tanya, J.P. Acosta for doing his first appearance, bringing us some youth. Thank you all for watching the show, chatting on Twitch. Thank you for listening to the show after the fact. Again, starting next week, we are on five days a week at twitch.tv slash FBOutsiders. Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday hosted by me. Tuesday and Friday, Fantasy Focused, hosted by Scott Spratt. So we will see you on Monday at 1 p.m., for our big weekend review show. Thank you for watching the Football Outsiders Radio Hour. Everybody enjoy uh, the first week of the season. Let's play some real, actual football that means something. (laughs) 